This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me or rejoining me once again this lovely Friday morning. I'm your host, Lisa McDonald. This is my show, Carpe Diem, and we're with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Super excited for my guest today. Uh, good friend, uh, somebody who I got to see again this summer, which doesn't always happen in terms of busy lives and, and uh, whatnot. So super excited to have my friend here, very talented, multi-talented, uh, very bright light in this world, Chris Lamont. And as I always do, uh, before I turn it over to Unscripted Dialogue, I'm just going to plug Chris a little bit, give you a little bit of his bio, which he sent to me. And I have to say, this is probably one of my favorite bios that I've read. It just exudes so much personality. Uh, so I really appreciate Chris putting in the time and energy into that. So a little bit about Chris, uh, and I'm going to read it in his own words, speaking from himself. I've been playing drums since I was two years old. It's my dad's fault, really. In medical school, he was the one member of his house who didn't drink. Instead, he waited until everyone else drank and fell asleep and then played practical jokes, shaving eyebrows, permanent marker body art, etc., on his housemates. After one particularly dirty trick, his best friend said, just for that, I'm going to buy your firstborn a set of drums. Sure enough, under the Christmas tree, when I was two, there was a set of Fisher-Price toy drums from Uncle Joe, complete with orange plastic drumsticks. I never looked back. It became a regular occurrence that my dad would put his big headphones on me and play recordings of great jazz drummers like Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa while I banged along with those plastic sticks. At the age of eight, I began to take drum lessons, something that I did on and off for the next six years. I really didn't enjoy them. I never practiced the lessons I was given. All I wanted to do was play along with my favorite records, to just play. I got my first real drum set at the age of 13 and was in a band almost instantly, putting on concerts for the parents in my basement, complete with my brother plugging and unplugging Christmas lights to add to the show. High school was a collection of moments in between music classes. I didn't care much for anything else. I played in all the bands and finally found some real guidance under the eye of Dan Stevens, Parkside's head of music. He taught me a great deal and ended up arranging an audition for me in grade 11 with the Hamilton All-Star Jazz Band, a move that would cement the course of my future immediately. I played with them for three years and began to see what working with good bands was all about. We traveled, competed, entertained, and met some great musicians, including one of my heroes, Duke Ellington, drummer Louis Belson. Things were beginning to unfold. I was accepted into the jazz performance program at Concordia University, and off I went to Montreal. It was my first time away from home, and more importantly, my first chance to really focus on music exclusively. I had an excellent private drum instructor and really dug into learning my instrument. It was wonderful. While at Concordia, I met a singer named Chad Richardson, a newbie who had a talent for writing songs. We began to do some recording together and ended up being good friends. In 1995, after the referendum that nearly saw Quebec separate, Montreal emptied out. 
jazz clubs closed, and the music scene died for the most part. Chad announced he was moving to Toronto to pursue some record company connections and invited me to come along and become a rock star with him. I agreed and moved back to Dundas to live with my mother. While waiting for my new rock star life to start, I decided to attend Mohawk College's music program. My plan was to meet some musicians and do some playing. I ended up applying to the program. They gave me an exemption for year one, four, and I ended up coming within about three weeks of graduating. I even did a graduation recital. However, I just before the end of year three, I got a phone call from the manager of Wild Strawberries and was offered my first tour. Three weeks across Canada playing various clubs, festivals, and television shows with a band on the charts was enough for me to know what to do. I immediately moved to Toronto and spent the next 15 years following my dream of being a full-time professional musician. I had many incredible experiences and opportunities. I continued to play with Wild Strawberries, which allowed me to do two runs on Sarah McLaughlin's Lilith Fair tour, played on two other albums, and met a few more drumming heroes. I also continued playing with Chad Richardson and ended up winning the Q107 Homegrown Competition in the late 90s. Over the years, I also played with the likes of Jeff Healy, Sash Jordan, Carol Pope, as well as jazz greats such as Pat LaBarbera, Peter Appleyard, and Bernie Sinensky. Around 2004 and 5, after a particularly frustrating situation with a band, I became disillusioned with music. I began to think about finding something else to do, which was scary because I didn't know how to do anything else. All I knew was that I had always had an interest in medicine. My father was a doctor and my mother was a nurse, and a deep love of nature, particularly the relationship that the First Nations people had with it. One night, I had a dream, and it was a complete, fully realized dream about what my new career could be. I was living in the woods, growing medicinal plants, preparing medicines, and selling them to people online. So when I woke up, I searched online and quickly found Selena Ainsworth, who had a herbal uh, dispensary on Rockinsville's Avenue, and went to see her that day. Selena was generous with her time and explained how one becomes a herbalist. Within the week, I was a student of the International College of Herbal Medicine, an online school based in New Zealand and run by internationally renowned herbalist Isla Burgess. I soon discovered that studying something of this nature online is difficult and I needed something experiential. I began apprenticing with Toronto herbalist John Redden shortly after and started learning how to make medicine by hand. I was halfway through the year program when my son was born and I quickly found out that I had too much going on. I had to put school on hold and focus on earning a living with music and being a father. I left school behind for six years and when Isla Burgess came to lecture in Toronto in 2012, I knew I had to finish. Considering my employment with John Redden, Isla allowed me to pick up where I left off, and in late fall of 2014, I finally graduated and became a registered herbalist. I've been practicing at John Redden's herbal clinic for about six months now. I'm currently consulting on the writing of a book about natural skin care by Margaret Dinsdale, whose Canadian bestseller, Skin Deep, is being revised and re-released. I've also just been elected to the board of directors of the Ontario Herbalist Association. So, Wow. Chris, fantastic. Thank you <laughs> Welcome. So today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's so great to have you too. And, you know, it's always interesting because although, you know, we go back and share a history of going to the same high school, living in the same town, and having just recently reacquainted since my return from Alberta in 2011, and again this summer for a swim in my pool, mm-hmm. I didn't really know all that about you. I knew some of that. I didn't know all of that. That is exceptionally impressive. Congratulations on all of your accomplishments. Well, thank you very much. It's 
I, I have worn two hats for quite some time now. And so <clears throat> when I'm speaking to people about my own experiences, it's generally one or the other. So very few people other than, you know, those that know me quite well, uh, know that one side of me, but not the whole story. So it's fun to be here and, and sort of talk about all of it. Well, it's fantastic. And so I, I'm going to, I'm going to share because I had your permission to talk about this. I'm going to share with our listening audience. So, uh, you know, Facebook is what reconnects people and brings people back together again. And uh, I had lived out west for 10 years and uh, moved back, re- relocated and transplanted myself and my children back in Dundas in 2011. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite open about a lot of things. And uh, back in, I think, 2011 or 2012, I had posted something uh, with regards to breast cancer. And that's something that's unfortunately run deep in my family, particularly on my mother's side. Uh, both my mom and her sister, both now deceased, were diagnosed with uh, uh, stage 3 advanced cancer, uh, both at the age of 44, ironically. And, of course, this I'm in my 44th year. I turned 44 in December. And so, of course, anybody who knows anything about that, uh, generally, you know, you have to go for mammograms, uh, you know, being the daughter uh, I had to start my mammograms when I was 34 years old. And so I was well on my way once I decided to have children and nurse them both, uh, that following that, I was going to uh, elect to have a bilateral mastectomy. And I'd met with a geneticist and, uh, you know, gone, re- I met with the surgeon, uh, was really going the whole nine yards with it. And then Chris came upon my post and he privately messaged me and said, you know, Lisa, before you do anything radical, you know, I would really love to offer you another perspective. I'd really like for you to talk to who I'm working underneath doing my, my internship with. So that resulted in a four-hour consultation with Chris and his mentor. And uh, I have to say, Chris, you know, and, and this isn't about um, – this isn't about imposing my decisions on anybody else. Uh, I support whatever anybody decides is in their best interest. But I have to say that I really thank you for that um, because I elected not to go that route after I met with both of you. And um, there was a lot of reasons to support why, for me personally, that would have been in my best interest and my family's best interest. And so I just want to thank you for that because that was life-altering for me. And it could have been life-altering in a different way, and one never knows where they're going alternatively with whatever decision they make. So I just want to say thank you for for that because that was really – that was a hard time for me. That was very pivotal in my journey, and uh, you really really helped me with a difficult decision. So I want to thank you very much for that. Well, I'm, I'm really happy that you were receptive and open to that. I I don't make a normal practice out of – approaching people and saying, hey, you might benefit from this form of healthcare. But that was one of those situations where I just felt a little tug and 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 followed it and, and felt that this was an important thing to do and that you were the right person to to suggest this to. And I'm so glad it worked out the way it did. Well, I did too. And I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, when when that exchange was going on between you and I before I officially made the appointment, uh, and saw you for the first time since probably Parkside days. So we're talking well over 20 years, a couple mm-hmm. decades. And uh, so, you know, 
Chris, for the listening audience, Chris had messaged me and said, you know, as part of my internship and part of my learning curve, would you have any objections to me sitting in the consult uh, just so that it could, you know, enhance my own learning? And I said, no, that's okay. So we talked about my breasts for four hours. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. That's yeah, a first we did. Thing. Yep. Yeah, it took our bonding to a different level, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing that we have to hide from each other anymore. No, no. I, I think that, you know, cancer is obviously a very scary word, and um, I think there is a um, pervasive understanding in our society that it's pretty much a death sentence. At least that's how it's perceived by a lot of people, and also that there are very few things that we can do about it. Um, there are a few treatments that are available to us, but, but beyond that, we don't know what to do with it. And so to, to have studied, and, and I don't, I'd like to say up front that I don't pers personally treat cancer in my practice. Um, I hope to one day, but, um, but I have some close friends who are practitioners that do deal with cancer on a regular basis and, and in having conversations with them and, and doing some reading, um, I've realized that there are some options and, and that, that's part of, I think what I enjoy most about being a herbalist is that is the is the educational side of things in that I'm able to share with people a different perspective on their health and 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 their place in the natural world as well and I and I think that um those perspectives I haven't certainly found anywhere else um but they make a whole lot of sense so to be given an opportunity to pass that on to people is one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Well, kudos to you, my friend. Thank you very and, much. <laughs> and uh, so do, do you want to offer any testimonials, um, whether it be under the mentorship of uh, uh, Mr. Redden, or do you want to uh, talk about maybe some things that have come to light as a result of, uh, you know, going solo and uh, embarking upon this journey now? with yourself, for yourself, you know, any testimonials about uh, people who have come forward who maybe have gone more the route initially with traditional means and what what has happened for them as a result of um, being receptive and open to alternative? Certainly. I, I have I have a number of different stories, uh, either patients of my own or, or people that I have, um, like you, have been able to sit in with, um, with mentors of mine. Um mm -hmm. This stuff really works. It, it does. The, the thing about it is that it's not, you see, we, we've gotten to a place where we are quite happy driving up to the bank machine and driving up to the takeout window and having pills that make things go away immediately. And it's all very convenient, but I think that convenience is part of the problem. Um, we take a lot for granted and we, we started to live in a way that's quite disconnected from what I believe to be our roots and um, we're, we are very plugged in creatures. We're, we're plugged in all the parts of ourselves are so deeply connected, but we're also plugged into our, to our, the world that we live in, our environment. And, and I think that the more that we live in a detached fashion from that, and I'm mostly speaking about the natural world, um, the more prone we are to sickness. I've seen it over and over and over again. Um, and I remember, hearing a herbalist named Michael Vertoli speak this summer, and he said something that really stuck with me, which was that um, most people can't live in the forest. You know, we live in the cities because that's where the work is and that's where everything is close at hand. And 
and uh, our lives are more convenient. Mm-hmm. But the forest, I mean, if anybody's ever been for a walk in the woods, you know immediately that you start to breathe deeper and slower. You probably move a little slower, and you pay attention to what's around you. You look up. <laughs> a lot of people don't look up. Very uh, true. Right? So so as a herbalist, one of the most important things that I can do is be, I can bring the forest to the people. You know, even if it's just in a brown bottle full of tincture or a couple of words about what might be good to eat and not eat. Um, what I'm trying to do is connect people with their surroundings in a way that will promote healing. So in, in keeping with that idea, um, there's effort involved. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy to tell who's going to stick with the program and who's not. But generally, from what I've seen, those that do, they are able to make lifestyle changes. They are able to change what they eat. They're able to change their perspective, how they think about things. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that really benefit from this kind of treatment. So, um, you know, like I'm just getting started. I, I'm, I haven't been doing this for a long time yet, but but even still, those people that I have been able to help in that short amount of time have, some have seen profound change, some have seen subtle change. And it's it's been a real adventure to to have that experience where I can, um, I can learn what works and what doesn't and how everybody's different. And there's just so much to it. It's fascinating to me. And, and I realize that this is going to be something that I'm going to be studying for the rest of my life. Wonderful. I, you know, I just love hearing stories and testimonials of people truly living their life of passions. This is often what we talk about on radio with my guests, and uh, this is often the reason why I seek out certain people to have on my show because, you know, the, uh, having people such as you, Chris, on my show is very inspiring for people, you know, for people who, you know, have had certain dreams or passions lay dormant because they have bought into what you loving, like, the way you described that was just absolutely beautiful, living in this detached world and mm-hmm. just becoming disengaged. And uh, we do that with each other and, and we do that with ourselves. And so, you know, mm-hmm. to have you here talking about things that you've endeavored to do and honoring yourself and living your life of passions uh, and just stepping out of your comfort zone and, and taking it on that steep learning curve, which I'm sure it has been for you, but you've grown, obviously. Oh, more than I even have words to describe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I like what you say about living detached from ourselves because essentially I, I see that as being the same thing. You know, we are, we are fully connected to everything going on around us. And, and when we listen to that, um, that often results in something very passionate happening. Mm-hmm. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not really shy on passion. I tend to be a pretty impulsive person and, uh, this is the second time around that I have followed a dream. And, um, so I, I know a couple things about that, <laughs> about the good and the bad. I don't think that my dream of music was for the right reasons. Uh, and that's probably why it didn't last. Mm-hmm. I still, I'm still very passionate about music. I love it. I will play drums until I can't hold sticks anymore, but I was pursuing it as a career for Entirely the wrong reasons, and and I know that now in hindsight because now the herbal medicine, I know in my heart and soul that I'm doing it for the right reasons, and that being able to do something for somebody else really feels good. Wow, uh, I, I just think- got I just got goosebumps when you said that. I, <laughs> I, I truly <laughs> did. You know because you know it's there's so many reasons and factors and criteria at hand that unfortunately initially. 
leads people down the garden path of, uh, you know, endeavoring to do things that they think are more acceptable by society or it's ingrained within the household, you know, to go, to go a certain route, to, to follow a certain path because there's the understanding or there's the belief pattern attached to that, that that's what's going to offer you security and stability, whether you're talking about pension, whether you're talking about guaranteed 40 hours a week, you know, all of that. Um, but you see a lot of people these days who have jobs seemingly to some degree because there's no 100% security, but they're miserable. You know, they can't, they can't wait to clock out. You know, they can't even really fully enjoy their Sunday because they're dreading Monday. They're back in the grind, uh, you know, and they're working overtime to keep up with the increasing debt just so people can feel that they're keeping up with the Joneses. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a rut. And there's a lot of people who are feeling quite stuck in that. Or, you know, they're realizing, recognizing within themselves they're getting that itch. Or it's becoming very clear that they're growing miserable or depressed. Uh, and they feel that it's time for a change, but they're scared to branch into the unknown, you know, to take those risks and to see where that might, in fact, lead them. So, you know, for somebody such as yourself, who, as you say, has worn two hats of passion, but understanding uh what underlies that is that there's two different trains of thought, two different schools of thought that motivated you and propelled you in both of those directions. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us because for people who are listening, you know, hopefully that eradicates some of the fear and the trepidation uh, because life is short. I mean, you and I know that, and you would see a lot of that firsthand with people uh you know, who have come to you because of other things that have happened to other family members and they perhaps want to be proactive and go a different route, right? Because they value their lives or they value that there's another way of incorporating something equally meaningful or more substantially meaningful into their lives in terms of self-care and um, health. So, so I appreciate you sharing that because uh, maybe something that you've said will you know, get somebody out of that zone of feeling like they're stuck or living a life of mediocrity or being complacent, right? So thank you for that, Chris. And one of the stories that you shared with me when you came over to my house this summer, which I thought was, and I saw it on Facebook, but you went into more further detail in person. Absolutely love the story. Why don't you tell me about uh, Dr. Lee in Jamaica? Uh-huh. Uh, I love this story. I, I love it so much that I, I wrote it up on my website as a blog to share with everyone. Um, this is, this is one of those stories where, uh, it, it's a, it's a great example for me of what happens when I listen to that little tug. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an example of that crossroads we come to, which shows up as choice in our lives where you can choose to either ignore the tug and go about your business or you can listen to that tug and follow it. And, and, and every time I've done that, amazing adventures have happened. So this is one of those examples. Um, in June, my girlfriend and I went to Jamaica, uh, for a wedding and leading up to the, the trip, I was full of thoughts. I was full of, well, I've never been to Jamaica before and I've never stayed in a giant all-inclusive resort before and I don't know any of the people that are going to be there so you know that was where my I was quite excited about it but that's where my thoughts were but in the back of my mind um, I was considering the plants that grow there I use a couple of um, herbs in my practice that are native to Jamaica and 
And I thought, oh, well, I, I wonder if I'm going to get to see those. So off we went, and, you know, within minutes of getting on the plane, I realized that this was a party crowd, and chances of a nature walk were probably going to be pretty simple. <laughs> So, um, the first, the very first day we were there, everybody went to the beach and I realized when I got there that I had forgotten my towel. So I took a, a solo walk back to the resort and, um, and along the pathway, I came across a groundskeeper and I was, I was about to walk past him and I felt that little tug and I took a few more steps and then I stopped and said, no, hold on a second here. Let's, let's look into this. And and I went over to this man and uh, introduced myself. And he um, was very friendly. And and I asked, I started by asking him if he was going to be doing any planting that day. He had a shovel in his hand and was digging something. And I said, are you going to do any planting? And he said, no, why do you ask? And I started to ask him about plants. Now, the look on his face told me that this was probably the first time a tourist had ever asked him about a plant other than marijuana. <laughs> So he was, uh, he was pleasantly surprised. And I, and I said, I'm looking for Jamaican dogwood. I'd love to see what it looks like growing in the wild. Um, and Jamaican sarsaparilla, do you guys have that on the resort? And he stopped and he thought for a minute and he said, I don't know if we do, but I know who does. Um, so come back in five minutes when you get your towel and, and we'll see. So I went and got my towel. And when I came back, there was another groundskeeper standing with my friend Albert and he introduced him as Lee. And, uh, and he said, uh, you're looking for Jamaican dogwood, yeah? And I said, yep. And he goes, okay, follow me. And he took me, you know, about 60 yards from where we were standing and he hopped the fence and, uh, he said, that's a Jamaican dogwood. It's this great big tree, beautiful. Um, and he said, why, why are you interested in, in this? And so I told him I was a herbalist and that I use the bark of the tree, you know, for certain, uh, therapeutic benefits. And, uh, and he pulled out this giant machete and he hacked off a piece of bark and brought it to me and offered it as a gift. Wow. And that was the beginning of our friendship. He, he told me that he was, uh, uh, familiar with the tree and he was curious about how we used it in Canada and et cetera, et cetera. So every day, at least once a day, if not twice a day, I would come across Lee and Albert. And each time I saw Lee, he would, beckon me and he'd say come on over here i have something to show you and he had a box that he kept his tools in and, and every day he would have something on the box drying in the sun some sort of plant that he'd harvested uh that, that he wanted to tell me about and he ended up giving me all of these plants that he harvested and telling me about them wow. and there was a point at which i was telling him something about what i do and he had this look in his eye that just made me realize that he was the real deal that i was dealing with uh, a Jamaican medicine man of a lineage of hundreds of years uh, who had this ancient knowledge passed on to him. The, the Jamaican medicine tradition comes from Africa. And when the slaves came over, they were allowed to practice their traditional medicine. And they found quite a few plants that they had also used in Africa. Um, so this knowledge goes back a very long way. And he, for the week that I was there, kind of took me under his wing Um and now I have a friend in Jamaica who's a medicine man that I, I, he just called me two days ago. So beautiful. And that yeah. was my next question is if you still keep up, you keep in contact because that's, that's kindred spirit right there, that connection. Yeah. We haven't been able to keep in touch very well. Uh, shortly after I left, he had his 50th birthday. So I put together a package, um, for him, a couple of books that 
I love to use and a book that he was asking me for because he couldn't find it there. So I sent him a package, but with, with the mail and the lack of technology that he's, uh, he has available to him, it's been difficult, but we do, we have been playing a bit of phone tag. Yeah. Fantastic, Chris. I love that story. Absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. I, I laugh at myself because while, um, I was getting to know him, um, I didn't have an appreciation for who I was dealing with and, and, um, I'm so used to teaching people about what herbal medicine is because most people around here have no idea what a herbalist does that when I finally realized that, oh, okay, I'm the student and he's the teacher, mm-hmm. I just had a good laugh at myself. <laughs> and I, and I thought back, Did I say anything stupid that would make me sound foolish? I don't, I think I got away clean on that one, but, um, <laughs> but he was, he was very, he had this way about him that, that really talented healers have where they don't just give you all the information and they don't, they don't talk from a place of ego. They, they give you a chance to make that realization for yourself. Beautiful. Um, and that was the biggest lesson that I got from him. He was kind of sneaky about it. And I really love that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you sharing that for us. So for people who aren't in your world or, or don't necessarily understand it, do you want to give us uh, a little bit of a rundown of, uh, and I'm sure not every day is a typical day, but if you want to just hone in on some of the things that you absolutely love about your job, what it is that you're doing, and not just a job, it's a way of life for you, and it's a passion. So do you, do you want to give us a little bit of insight for what it is that you do? Because I'm sure you wear many hats within uh, that particular vocation. I do indeed, and that's the, the magic of it is that, you know, each person is so uniquely different from all the other ones, and, and so you have to approach each situation in an entirely unique way. So, um, so what I do as a herbalist is I help people, um, overcome health issues or prevent illness, um, through mostly education, to be honest. The herbs themselves are not at the top of the list. Um, so I, I often impart to people that we have, um, the ability to be in charge of our of our health, of ourselves, of our lives. And this is not just medicine. This is also the choices that we make and the attitudes that we have. Um, but when we get into trouble uh, or when we want to avoid getting into trouble, there are certain things that we all have at, at our disposal. And these are not things that we learn from uh, modern medicine. Um, modern medicine does many things wonderfully, and I'm, a, and I'm a fan of those things. But there are certain things that it doesn't do very well. And one of those things is prevention, and another is uh, really getting to the root cause of what's going on, and that's that has to be the main focus for me, at least. Um, so, you know, relieving people's symptoms is important. Of course, we all want to be comfortable and feel better, but um, but equally, if not more important, is figuring out why we felt bad in the first place, mm-hmm. and that often comes from what we eat. That's the easiest thing for anybody to change. Uh, and the best way for us to really take charge of ourselves and our health. Um, so I, I often start with that. Um, a lot of people have a lot of stress. Everybody's so stressed out. Um, and, and I think certainly what I've discovered, I, I wrote a paper for school. My graduation paper was about root beer. <laughs> really fun because I had to make and drink an awful lot of root beer. But uh, <laughs> the the essence behind that project is that 
root beer is a medicine. Traditionally made root beer is and was a very powerful medicine, subtle but powerful, and and it offers us um, something in the way of stress relief because stress is such a huge cause of so many different health ailments. Um, and we can, by taking plants, um, by talking to people that are good listeners, um, by going for walks in the woods, all these things that we can do, we can protect ourselves against the effects of stress. And this is something as far as, um, anecdotes and testimonials that I have seen work again and again and again. And I am my first patient in that regard, um, so the root beer was a really fun experience because it sort of confirmed all of these ideas that I have been learning over the past eight years now, I guess. Um, and so I, I have to take each person um, individually and address those things that are troubling them, but there are certain patterns that show up. And, and very consistently, people eat poorly, they don't sleep enough, and um, and they're stressed. So... Um, so those three things in particular, I think, uh, are, are tools that I can help people learn about so that they can make changes at home, small changes usually, um, that will set them up for being healthy uh, for the rest of their lives. Fantastic. And then those that, that have developed health issues, um, you know, often come into our clinic thinking that, well, I've tried everything else, and this is this is particularly with people that have undergone cancer therapy. I've tried everything else; nothing's worked. My doctor has given me X number of months or years to live, so I figured, what the heck, I'll give it a try. And so many times, people will leave our clinic saying, "I really wish I'd come here first. Wow! So, so that's the reports are all good, and of course, nothing works for everyone. Um, we've seen that with all kinds of different healing modalities. Um, but I think if you come into the clinic willing to work, willing to make changes, willing to be open, to be vulnerable and to do things that, you know, you may not entirely trust just yet, Mm -hmm. um, some amazing things can happen. Amazing. Well, let me ask you this, because I think you touched upon it a little bit, but I want to delve into a little bit specifically about do you encounter uh, people who come in who don't, they're not necessarily exhibiting any physical symptoms? There is no diagnosis. There is no actual disease, if you will, in the body, to their knowledge. But say it's somebody who struggles with anxieties. Uh, because, I mean, you talk about stress, and we know that we live in a society where because of all the reasons that produce stress uh, mm-hmm. and, and people sometimes having, you know, succumbing to that, uh, sometimes it's within people's control. Sometimes it's not within people's control, and there's different levels of it. So, you know, I, I'm not negating or minimizing or making light of anything. But do you have a certain population of people who come to you? They're not necessarily exhibiting physical symptoms, um, but as a result of stress, you know, they're struggling with anxiety or they're struggling with things more at the psychological, uh, mental state level. Absolutely. Um, they the the common theme is is that there is a certain lack of self awareness uh which is common to so many people and and i think that's where a lot of anxiety comes from it's that it's that detached way of living that we talked about and that's probably a better example of being detached from oneself mm-hmm. um, there are a, a great number of people who 
who don't have either the time or or the <laughs> the bravery, I guess, because it's a very scary thing to do, to look inward. Um, and I think when you when you become detached from yourself, when you become detached from the natural world, uh, we feel alone. You know, it, it's it's not um, it's not um, uncommon knowledge that we live in a fairly isolated society. We don't have the community. You know, it takes a it takes a community to raise a child is the is the cliche. And we don't have that, and I think that that's a big part of the reason that people suffer from anxiety because there's that detachment. There's no support network. There's no safety net. And, um, and the focus often is on, um, things that will not heal that. So we focus on, um, paying the bills. We focus on how do we raise our kids well? We focus on what happens if the car breaks down on the way to work, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the really great tools that I've gotten from John Redden is something called a values clarification exercise where we, discuss the things that uh, people value the most in their lives. And, you know, some people value uh, friends and family. They value uh, having a peaceful life, uh, being full of love and joy. Um, unfortunately, those are not the, the norm. The norm are, you know, the things I mentioned before, concern about finances, and, and everybody is. But if you if those are the things that you're focused on, that you value, um, then those things can be taken away from you is the essence of the exercise. And so we, we teach people to be focused on those things that are innate, that are, that are an integral part of ourselves that can't be taken away from us. And, and the focus on those things, um, is where the, the release of anxiety comes from in my experience as a practitioner. There are herbs that can help a lot. There are some wonderful herbs. I've seen amazing things happen with kava, which is a, a root that comes from the South Pacific, um, and some other ones that grow around here as well. But the, the real healing power comes from just getting people to connect with themselves. I think that, that we do that far too little, and um, it just makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. And you're speaking to something that, uh, I'm really embarking upon with my own steep learning curve right now, which there's some crossover with what you're saying and, you know, we're not going to spend, because this show is about you, but, you know, really delving into the subconscious and eradicating yourself from the toxicity and not even realizing to the degree that you perhaps, um, you know, haven't necessarily worked through or salvaged some things or atoned for things and people are carrying around shame, people are carrying around blame, uh, all these things without really realizing to the degree that it's affecting them in their conscious life. Right. So, yep. um, yeah, so some crossovers there between where I'm at with my own learning curve and, and uh, doing my own spiritual detoxification and some of what you say. And it's all interconnected. Right. It's it's all interconnected. Um, it, you can't you can't separate the brain from the body. You can't. <laughs> exactly. That that mind uh, mind. Uh, sorry. Spirit, mind and body connection is it's true. There is really no getting around that as much no. as. We like to deny that that's the case. Um, deny we we will, but uh, but if that is not realized, um, if those parts are deemed to be detached, then it it can cause trouble. And I mean, I get it. I I feel anxiety too. I I have gone now from a career that makes not a lot of money to a career that makes a lot less money, and um, 
Uh, and I worry about money too, just like everybody else does. Um, the, the trick is to, is to really get in touch with what's important. And, you know, at, at I love to quote, to quote Gandalf, uh, and I'm showing my nerd side here, but <laughs> I love it. he says to, to Frodo, um, uh, the only choice we have is what to do with the time that we're given. And I love to keep that at the forefront of my mind each day because um, I want to make sure that the time that I've been given uh, is used wisely and is used in a way that makes me feel good and also makes other people feel good. And I think that certainly from what I've seen so far, um, this type of uh, medicine fulfills that for me. Lovely. I love that, Chris. And, and don't you find, because I, I, I'm not one who believes in coincidences, but for all the people that you've encountered in your journey along the way, you know, whether your childhood, high school, uh, you know, all the different things that have set you on different paths as part of your integrated journey, um, don't you find that the people, regardless of money and all of that, because I believe if you're really passionate and you're endeavoring to do what you do, things like money and all of that show up. But if you're doing things specifically or solely for the sake of making a buck, it's not going to happen, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, that might certainly make the money show up, but but what else do you have going on, you know? Uh, and that's, again, that's again a, a good example of, of what you choose to invest in. If you choose to invest in finances at the, at the expense of your happiness or your personal growth or your health, then, um, you're going to get, you reap what you sow, essentially. You're going to get, uh, you know, a nice big house and a car and whatever else comes with that. I don't know, but, um, but you may end up coming to see me at some point because you've become sick. Uh, and I've seen that again and again and again. And I'm not judging people at all. I totally nope. understand why that happens. Um, but there is definitely a connection between uh, health, physical health, and mental, emotional health as well. And you cannot have that health without spending time working on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we've, we've talked about currently where you're at right now. And if you want to talk a little bit about, uh, your membership on the board of directors, that's fantastic. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a fresh item. Uh, we're having our first new board meeting, um, on Sunday. And I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to get involved with the OHA in the first place, uh, is because I have found a, a real lack of awareness about herbal medicine in the general public. Like I say, most of what I talk about with people is what I do. You know, people say, well, are you, are you a naturopath or are you a homeopath or what, what exactly are you? So not only, uh, am I teaching people about how to take care of themselves, but I also have to start by teaching them about what it is that I do in the first place. And, and I would like to see that awareness increase. So so I came to the OHA to say, hey, let's, let's let people know. Let's spread the word a little bit. And it just turned out that as I was getting involved, the, um, the board was changing and there were elections and I thought, ah, what the heck? Let's go for it. And, um, and got elected. And so now we're going to start this journey where, um, we can start to offer more to the community. And that's really what my focus is all about. There are lots of things that, we're going to change um, and grow, but 
through through kind of getting set up to do this business, building a website, getting social media happening. That's something that I can bring to the table and say, listen, you know, why don't we have some events and 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 I know how to spread the word and get it out there on the internet and whatnot. So there are, there are lots of very exciting ideas um, that will hopefully um, allow me or allow us as an organization to bring this knowledge that we've gathered uh, and share that with the population. I'm really excited. Fantastic. And so when was the OHA founded? You know what? I don't even know the answer to that. It's been around. Okay. You've got till Sunday, Chris. <laughs> Clearly, I still have a lot of homework to do. That's okay. You know what? As long as you're plugging away, and I mean, that's wonderful. I think that's great. And as I say to all my guests, uh, depending on what it is that they're doing or uh, whatnot, um, you know, and I said this to you in text this morning, you know, I'll, I'll cross promote you. I'm all about that. You know, it's not just about artists supporting artists. It's just, you know, for anything that, um, for anything that helps people, that supports people, that gets people on the right path, you know, familiarizes them with things because you don't know what you don't know, right? So you need people to educate you and to know what's out there and to further be able to dabble into it. So, you know, whatever you put up that I think would speak or help the cause or, you know, help promote you and your business and everything, I will certainly cross promote you to the hilt. I love that stuff. Appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And so, um, you know, we've, we've talked, uh, primarily, uh, because of what's current in your life and, you know, you put your energy on what's most important to you and whatnot. But, you know, when you look back on your life and when you look back on the drums and all the gigs and some of the big name people that you've played with and, uh, you know, what you've morphed into to where you are currently, do you want to, do you want to talk about like a pivotal shift that you've undergone? Do you want to talk about reflecting back hindsight 2020 when you look back on Chris, the little boy, uh, you know, all the, perhaps the, the different fears that you overcame to kind of step into your true authentic self and taking your journey down a lovely path. You know, do you want to talk about something on that level that might help people inspire them, get them motivated? Uh, because this is the good stuff. People need to hear the good stuff and the fact that these things have really happened and do materialize in people's lives if you set your intentions and you choose to manifest. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I think that in, in hindsight, I think it was all about that tug that I talked about before, you know, listening to that little voice that says, hey, this, this might be fun. Why don't we check this out? Um, I grew up in a household uh, full of medical people. As you mentioned in the intro, my dad was a doctor and, uh, and a fairly well-renowned one um, around the Hamilton scene anyway. And he had this kind of hero vibe about him. Not that he portrayed that, but he just kind of exuded it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I admired the heck out of that. <laughs> to the point where I considered getting involved in medicine um, as a career. And he discouraged me, I think, because he was dealing with a lot of politics, a lot of red tape at the time. And uh, it, it, it was taking him away from what he really wanted to do, which was to help people and something that he was so good at. So I, I kind of tucked that away and decided to choose something else. And, and the obvious choice was the thing that I was the most excited about, which was the drums. And and playing music. However, again, in hindsight, I think that that interest in playing music was not about the music itself. It was about what the music could offer me. 
you know, I, I joke in the bio about becoming a rock star, but that was really the plan. That was fully and completely on paper my plan. Um, and it was entirely an exercise in achieving validation from the external. It was about the attention that I would get. It was about the, the status that I would have with, you know, friends and family. And um, it was that drive to be the best at something so that I could feel good about myself because clearly I didn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so my passion was misguided. Um, now, I did also happen to have some amazing, magical, spiritual, passionate musical moments. There's no doubt about it. And I'm incredibly grateful for those. But I think that I started to realize at some point that I wasn't, I had stopped studying the music. You know, the, the musicians that I was working with were world-class and they had this drive to continually listen to the masters and tear, tear jazz music apart or rock music or whatever it was they were into and really understand it and, and, and contribute to it. That was the thing. Um, I kind of felt like a bit of an imposter and a, and a bit of a, like I was along for the ride mm-hmm. and, uh, and I certainly enjoyed the ride and, um, and I made some great friends and I had some amazing opportunities, but my heart wasn't in it the way that, um, the people that surrounded me were showing. And that's when I started to really realize, well, maybe, maybe something needs to change here. And then, the other thing too that that really became an issue was that you have to be thick skinned to be in the music business. You have to face rejection all the time. You have to face criticism. Um, you have to face people that want your services but don't want to pay you. All these things that are um, that don't make one feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some people that are really great at that. They can just laugh it off and go to the next gig. And I'm not good at that. I I. I was taking things personally and I was, you know, starting to feel uh, unfulfilled and unsatisfied by what I was doing. So that's how this whole idea of a career shift happened. And, and I went with it and it was the best decision I ever made. And I knew that it was because everything just kind of fell into place. And when that happens, when you're in that flow, that's a really good sign. And I've found so far that I'm incredibly fulfilled by what I do, um, it makes me feel amazing to see that, that light go on in people's heads, to see that smile on their face when they come in and tell me that they're feeling better. Um, and uh, it's it's just been such an amazing experience for for me personally as a as a person that's trying to grow and improve and and enjoy life. Uh, I, I couldn't be happier with how things have gone. Well, I couldn't be happier for you, Chris, really. And I really appreciate your, your rawness and, and being vulnerable and, and being very self-reflective and, and honest about all that. So thank you for sharing that with us. And, um, what I'd also like to do before we get to the point of wrapping up, I'd like for you to be able to properly let everybody know where they can find you. Any information, contact information, website information, the address of where you're working, where people can find you, that would be lovely. Certainly. Uh, let's start with my website, which is at chrisstheherbalist.com. And um, that is something that uh, I've taken care to build. And uh, there's some stuff to read on there. You can also make an appointment with me um, for a consultation. Uh, I'm currently practicing at a clinic 
in the Junction neighborhood of Toronto, which is the sort of Dundas West and Keel area. It's called Viriditas Herbal Products, V-I-R-I-D-I-T-A-S Herbal Products, and it's at 2775 Dundas Street West in Toronto. Uh, Or you can contact me directly by phone, uh, 647-880-8302, or send me an email at chrisstheherbalist at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, Chris, once we get the podcast up, you know, you can put that on your website. Hopefully it draws more traffic. And like I say, anything you continually put up as far as uh, your endeavors, where people can find you, anything upcoming, anything exciting that's happening that you'd like to share with the rest of the world, I will gladly splash it all over my social media. And uh, I just want to say how grateful I am to have you in my life. And I know that when you had come over here this summer, we had talked about, uh, you know, the possibility of you eventually returning to Dundas. And, um, you know, because everybody knows that Dundas is a wonderful place to raise children and mm-hmm. to preserve land. You're never going to see a Costco or a Walmart here. It's family-oriented. It's clean. It's safe. And so, you know, whatever whatever your journey holds for you, you know, maybe your business takes off to the point where, you know, you're there and you see life differently living in Toronto. Um, but whatever, whatever manifests for you, whatever ends up coming to fruition – um, you'll always have a friend in me. You're always welcome to come to my home. And I want to thank you very much again for reaching out to me back in 2011 and 12 um, and putting me in a place where I, I feel really comfortable and confident with uh, a huge decision that I made for myself that really benefited me personally and my family. Um, so I want to thank you. You've, you've really enriched my life, and I think you're an amazing, phenomenal person, not because of accomplishments, but just your spirit, your humility, um, and you're just very down-to-earth, and you're just such a humble man, and I love you very much, Chris. Well, thank you very much. Those are very kind words, Lisa, and, and you have turned out to be a very good friend, and uh, I'm just thrilled to to be able to share this with you. Well, thank you, and thank you for sharing your gifts and your insights with the rest of the world because uh, this goes to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites between this and my podcast getting syndicated with another network. So your name's getting out there, Chris. That's wonderful. Thank you for your help. <laughs> ah, it's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And so maybe we have you come back on the show and rejoin me at a later point when you've got some other stellar updates in which to share with the rest of the world, okay? That would be my honor. Thank you so much. Oh, well, mine too. So you take care. Enjoy your weekend. Have a lovely Friday. Be safe. And uh, let's stay in touch, and the podcast will be up shortly, okay? Absolutely. Take care, Lisa. So- Yeah, you too, Chris. And so for my listening audience, I want to thank you very much once again for joining me here on my show, Carpe Diem. I go live every Friday at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any show topic ideas, suggestions in which you would like for me to share uh, and speak about, feel free to get in touch with me at lisamcdonald13 at gmail.com. And McDonald is spelled M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. Also, my website, lisamcdonaldauthor.com. So thank you very much. Wish everybody a safe and lovely weekend and love to you all. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. All my best. You've been listening to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. For more information, please go to Lisa's website at lisamcdonaldauthor.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.